0: Welcome to Utah Safe and Effective. We're gonna look into whether this vaccine is really safe and effective and the controversy around it. We'll be talking to people who have been injured by this vaccine, including doctors and nurses and what they've witnessed in their field. We'll be talking about Utah law and what legislation has been passed to protect your rights. We'll provide you with credible peer-reviewed studies so you can do the research on your own and use critical thinking to decide for yourself if this vaccine is really safe and effective. My name is Robert Scott Bell, I'm a homeopathic practitioner for almost 30 years and been in broadcast media for 23 years where I've interviewed over 1,500 doctors, scientists and lay people about their health journeys. We're here to bring awareness that some people who have received COVID injections have had adverse events from mild to very severe and we're going to document the stories of those that we've met along the way, what was common about their experience and maybe what they'd like to see happen from this point forward. Well, there are many stories that are happening in silence behind the scenes that may never make the light of day uh, when we talk about these adverse events. And then there are those who are in the public's eye and have an experience like this, and they're willing to continue to share in the public their journey. We have someone like that right now, Adrian, uh, recent Miss Utah, 2021. Our
1: 2021 Miss Utah for America Strong is Miss Provo, Adrian Edwards.
0: A pageant contestant, someone you've been public speaker for how long?
2: a little over 25 years professionally.
0: Is this something you volunteered to do? Is it something required for pageant participation, or please give us some of the backstory?
2: Sure. Well I happen to work in the healthcare industry as a liaison between hospitals and skilled nursing facilities. So my daily full-time employment happens to be helping to find an appropriate skilled nursing facility that can provide the aftercare for certain patients, uh, patients at the hospitals that just need ongoing care. So I was mandated, I did not want to get it, but I was told that I, I had I to get it.
0: In order to keep working.
2: It was, this is the mandate, everybody needs to get get the, the COVID vaccine. And I felt like I didn't have a choice. And also I wanted to keep the seniors safe. I thought that would be the right thing to do, but I knew my body. I have a very sensitive system and I tend to get the flu after every flu shot every year. I tend to catch pneumonia after the pneumonia shots. And I take these shots on a regular basis to keep the seniors especially safe who are within my work environment. So I felt that responsibility and I wanted to do what we were told to do, but I also knew my body and I knew that I would more than likely have an adverse reaction.
0: Uh, Today, right now, we're joined by our friend Nicholas, And Nicholas, you work in a lab setting, or you worked in a lab setting related to COVID tests associated with the PCR. That's correct. I worked during the peak of
3: COVID in the specimen processing department.
0: Were you required to take a COVID test to be working there, or a COVID injection or vaccination to work there? I was required to take the
3: vaccines to continue working my job in the lab setting.
0: Okay. We have more stories from the healthcare community, a home healthcare nurse our RN. Uh, let's welcome Melissa. How long have you been doing home health nursing?
4: So I've worked for my current company for 10 years this month, and I worked for a different home health company for about a year before that, so 11 years.
0: So in that time, you probably observed patterns of illnesses and ailments, and you see many things, sometimes repeatedly, yes. to give you an idea of what might be normally expected, what might be unusual.
4: Oh, absolutely. Um, I'd been a home health nurse all the way through You know, the COVID pandemic. I saw the effects of, of the lockdown on these elderly people who were lonely and couldn't get out. I myself took care of a number of COVID-positive patients. Uh, this was before the vaccine had come out. Uh, But I mean, being a nurse, that's my job. I take care of people who who are ill, so I never hesitated to go in and care for these people.
0: In our journey to discover the people who have uh, received these jabs or vaccinations and suffered untoward events since that time, there have been many people that wanna come forward, but some have been very concerned about their identity being revealed because of repercussions or retaliation. In this case, we have a medical technician at a surgical center where you one that said, you know what? I'm ready to volunteer. I will do anything to help because they told me it would stop this thing if I would just get the shot.
5: I was very eager. Uh, I worked for the American Red Cross and um, started IVs eight to 10 times per day. And I was around lots of um, older people. And as promised, they said that if we got the vaccine, it would not, we wouldn't spread or it would preserve our health. And because I had underlining autoimmune conditions, I was concerned for my health and my coworkers. And so I was one of the first ones in my organization to get the vaccine.
0: We're joined now by a board certified cardiologist to learn a little bit about his experience. Doctor, welcome and appreciate your willingness to speak out on a a very important topic at a time where we need to learn a lot really quickly. Thank you. Or at what point was there some concern that you may be seeing some things unusual in your practice as a cardiologist after people got these jabs?
6: Seemed fairly early on, but I was also kind of followed the story from the very beginning and I had concerns about the original studies and not having enough safety studies behind it or some of the outcomes from the initial trials.
0: We have Margo with us now, worked in emergency medical services in the support of those like ambulances, but not having direct contact in an ambulance. And at the time in in COVID, when the uh, emergency use authorization shots came out, uh, they weren't requiring it for you, were they?
7: That's correct.
0: Then you volunteered to get it, you thought?
7: You know, everybody within the agency, they had a plan for those that wanted to get it to go get it and i was a little hesitant at first because it was so new and then i thought you know i just want this pandemic over let's just do this let's go for it
8: my name is irene ricks and i am a er nurse i've been there for close to five years and i was there at the very beginning of covid still working there
0: things changed a lot once the experimental use authorization so-called vaccines came to, to be and you had been working as all the doctors and nurses without a perceived protection from a shot correct so that changed suddenly they oh, had this yeah. shot and they, how did they sell it to you
8: the reason why i got the shot the media made it so scary for everyone We thought this was our saving grace.
0: Was there any discussion uh, from the doctors there uh, that this was an experimental use of a new technology, mRNA injection? There
8: there was lots of talk about mRNA. And what a lot of them said was, you don't really know. That was the census is that we don't know. We're just being told, and this is what we're we're being told. So because we're being told this, Mm. this is going to save us.
0: But what about the young people that have gotten these experimental use authorization injections? How are they faring? We have someone joining us now, 20 years of age. Peyton, welcome, and I thank you for being willing to share your story. I understand that uh, you had gotten two injections, it wasn't something you were thinking you would go ever go out and do, but because of something you wanted to do, it required the injections. Do you want to share anything about that?
9: Yeah, so I'd put my papers in for a two-year LDS mission, uh, it's something I've always wanted to do, and uh, it's been a big goal of mine, and, and I was going to accomplish that goal. and um, I wanted the full missionary experience, so I was called the Houston, Texas mission, and to get into the MTC, which is a three-week training.
0: Part of the concern for safe and effective is among athletes, high level athletes, whether they be in the amateur realm, all the way to the professional realm. We have now a special guest here that has participated in athletics at the highest level of the professional world from the international realm to the NBA as a basketball player, Fred Roberts. Thank you so much for being here, willing to discuss this topic. I'm
10: an educator, my wife's been an educator for 15 years, and the damage that we have seen in the classroom from students wearing masks every day for almost two years, you know, not being able to go to school for the first year, and then the second year wearing masking up, and I see a different kid in the classroom today than I saw two
0: years ago or three years ago. So what brings you today to discuss the topic of, uh, you know, questioning safe safety and efficacy? Uh, at the time of COVID and these uh, so-called vaccines that came out.
10: I was contacted by a former teammate of mine and he told me about the group they had. They were getting together and they had Zoom calls once a month and asked if I'd like to participate and said absolutely.
0: What other symptoms did you experience after the second shot?
2: So after the second shot I immediately began having a really bad headache. I don't get bad headaches regularly and probably a few times a year, um, if I'm out in the sun too much. So the headaches were extreme and it progressed to a point, pain that I would say for me personally, on a pain scale of one to 10, it was a nine. It was unbearable where tears were just, what's the word? (laughs) Spontaneously falling. The brain fog was immediate. Uh, the the tripping over and stuttering. I'm not usually one to stutter. I, I don't usually have word fillers as a professional speaker. I have learned to get rid of the uhs and ums, and I could not avoid them. I immediately had severe fatigue. It went from being fine within the hour to my whole body felt like it was being taken over with just an overwhelming number of symptoms, including severe fatigue. In fact, when I received the uh, vaccine, it was just a few weeks before the national pageant. And there's a, an event, a huge event at the national pageant. It's, it's held at a wonderful venue in Las Vegas. So it's all exciting and it's everything that you think it's going to be very glamorous event. Well, there's a beautiful evening event where we're all dressed and it's a very beautiful formal event, all the judges are there. You're being judged for what you do on stage and you get to go on stage and you introduce yourselves. I was only a few weeks removed from receiving the vaccine. and I had zero energy, first of all. So I was at this pageant literally with the most severe fatigue that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. I had difficulty breathing. I had difficulty speaking without being winded. It was very, very severe. And I went on stage, no fear. I have no fear of of the stage. And blank. Uh, The microphone is in front of me. They asked me to say something I can't. I just went blank I could not remember where I was at I couldn't remember the person next to me they wanted me to introduce the person next to me she was one of my closest friends from Utah we were both representing Utah and she was our mrs. Utah one of our mrs. Utah title holders and I stared at her and I just could not remember where I was at I couldn't remember what I was asked to do couldn't remember her name and she's a dear friend of mine and of course Later, you know, people in the audience are gasping. There are hundreds of people in this formal event listening to you. And normally, that's my specialty. I love speaking with people. But for some reason, uh, you know, the, the vaccine affected me very severely neurologically.
3: Shortly after I had the second shot, about 30 minutes after, that's when I started, you know, having palpitations and... I started to pass out at work um, and was actually taken to the ER. What other symptoms have you experienced since that second shot that you received? Not right after, but I think within two weeks of uh, the shot, I started to grow uh, a limp, a lymph node started to grow in my neck and it just would not go down. And I went and saw my uh, PCP and he informed me that it's very possible that I could have lymphatic cancer and during this time it was about two months before anybody really did anything for me and so the lymph node actually ended up growing to the size of a golf ball Mm -hmm. and was eventually uh, taken out in a dissection. I started losing my hair and I have quite a big patch here. And um, that's something that started gradually happening after uh, the lymph node uh, dissection.
11: Their
4: fellow had uh, lost all the strength in his legs to the point that he couldn't walk had to be moved from his private home to an assisted living, never fully recovered, continued to have issue after issue, and passed away eight months later. Um, There are just so many stories that I've seen. I had a patient, a young patient, he was in his 50s, and he was really active. He had a successful job that he loved. He would go golfing every weekend, had a beautiful home right on a golf course. And uh, within a week of getting his booster shot, um, he started having memory troubles and started having some weakness, which was a picture of health. His wife didn't know what to do. Uh, When he started having trouble with speech and was falling more and more, she took him in to be evaluated. Um, They diagnosed him with rapidly degenerative brain disorder. This was in the fall time that he uh, began having these symptoms and he passed away before Christmas. He had two grandchildren, never met his third.
6: The first case I saw was the was a case of acute pericarditis in a young patient, healthy, um, had not had reactions before, but it happened kind of the same week that the report came out, I think, from Israel about the incidence of pericarditis. So we ended up transferring her to another hospital based on her preference and kind of told the doc as we transferred it, and they were surprised to hear about it. But kind of right away from the ear in the emergency room, I kind of recognized that this was a uh, vaccine uh, side effect and myocarditis is another thing that became a commonly used
0: term uh, in this era right this is not something again you would see in a lot of patients uh, or was it pretty typical as a cardiologist to see patients like these
6: i would say that in terms of the classic definition of myocarditis with st changes in troponin elevation not so much it's not that common but i see a lot of what I would say are subtle myocarditis, and that people come in with chest pain and shortness of breath and heart rhythm issues that have been going on for months. And there was a change after they took those shots. So one of the points of controversy
0: regarding cardiac events uh, after COVID versus after a COVID vaccination or jab, uh, arguments have been made that, well, those cardiac events are due to having COVID or having long COVID versus being an adverse event to a vaccination. Can you make any distinction there in that regard? Have you seen people that have had COVID and not the vaccination have similar or identical uh, events of the cardiac variety?
6: Another physician had mentioned to me that he thought that he was seeing a lot of long-term COVID in the unvaccinated and not in the vaccinated. And I said, oh, really, that's surprising to me because in my experience, everyone that I've seen with these kind of long-haul symptoms have been in the vaccinated or even the recurrent infections, that people that have been infected three or four times have been in the vaccinated.
7: Shortly after the second one is when I noticed some fatigue started to set in. And I didn't really think anything of it at the time. Um, I just thought, well, you know, maybe I'm just kind of blah or whatever. As time went on, I got more and more fatigued. And that's when I thought, wow, I need to go to the doctor and see what's going on to make sure there's, there's nothing serious. Um, cause this is really unusual for me. I'm a pretty active person. Um, I have six grandchildren, um, they come over and play all the time. And I, I was just too tired to have them around. And as it turned out, um, by the time I, I got the appointment it was a few weeks before I could get in. And by the time I got to the appointment, I had started experiencing some pretty severe insomnia. The strangest thing that happened to me um, was that at night, when I would try to go to sleep, sometimes I would be able to drift off to sleep. And you're just in that stage where you're just kinda getting drowsy and you're, you're getting ready to drift off. And I would feel this sensation that my brain was shaking and then it would wake me up, and then I would be wide awake. The neurologist said, you know, I started the meeting with her, and I started to um, read my list of symptoms, Um, and I got about a quarter of the way through the page, and she said, you have long COVID. And I said, but I've never had COVID. In fact, I've tested many times for COVID, because I work for emergency medical services. I have access to as many tests as I want. My husband had COVID. I tested a lot when he had COVID. I've never had COVID. And she said, "Um, I'm sure you just had an asymptomatic case of COVID. So now you have long COVID.
0: I apologize, I'm at a loss for words. When I hear a doctor say you have an asymptomatic disease, (laughs) Yeah. Do you understand? That's an oxymoron.
7: I eventually went to another neurologist just to get another opinion. As the months went by, I was just at a point in my life where I didn't want to take my own life. I didn't have any plans to take my own life, but I just collapsed and I cried and I said, I can't do this anymore. My poor husband. Um, I was just crying and I said, I want to die. He was just so sweet and he said, you can't die, I need you. And because I've been on this earth quite a while, I've been through a lot of trials in my life. I just had that thought of, There's light, there's light at some point. I'm gonna have a lot of struggles for a while, don't know how long, but God's gonna get me through this at some point.
8: After I had taken the first vaccine, which was the Pfizer vaccine, um, I went home, took a nap and woke up with my face feeling numb, like you're at a dentist's office and you know that numb feeling when they numb your teeth. And I looked at the mirror and it was definitely not symmetrical. But as a former neuro nurse as well, I did a quick neuro assessment on myself and could tell that it was not a stroke because I had, you know, um, done the assessment. I heard uh, talks about Bell's palsy. And that's what it looked like to me because during the neuro assessment, I knew it, it was just my face.
0: How long until you noticed that there was some effects that you felt were related to that second injection?
8: Well, the next couple of weeks after, I started feeling really anxious. Like your, you know, your heart's just not in, um, not feeling right. It's like palpitating. I knew that there was something wrong, and. Uh, at this time, I was working in a cardiac procedure unit. So, I actually, at one point, when I was feeling this crummy, I hooked myself up to the EKG and saw every time I felt horrible what was going on. And what was actually going on was that I would have what they call PVCs or an irregular beat backfiring back to back. So, I'd have a normal rhythm and then it would go boom, 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 boom when I was feeling crummy and feeling that it was so bad that I was feeling so bad that I had my manager sign my uh, advanced directives because I thought I was going to die. I and me and my husband the whole time were talking about this issue and keeping it between ourselves, but we came to a point where this was serious. I had to tell my children. I had to look them in the eyes and say, you know what? We need to, you know, we need to make some good memories because I don't know if I'm going to be here.
0: Doctor, you've been a physician for how many years? Primary care?
12: 32.
0: 32 years. So you've seen a lot in a 32 year career. You are uh, comfortable commenting on the uh, adverse events that we've been seeing within the COVID uh, vaccination program?
12: A lot of the symptoms are just like COVID itself. And, and it seems like the design of the vaccine is to, and in their intent perhaps. I, it might be to make it to improve our immune system about it. But what we end up with is the same problem. And really, it, has, it doesn't decrease the risk and people are worse off. Except what's happening now is with the vaccine injury, there's less of the respiratory stuff. There's still some, and but there's so much fatigue, shortness of breath. And what's happening, I think, is that these immortalized if this didn't come from me, but the research showing that, that uh, monocytes are immortalized and then uh, they're causing a continual uh, mast cell activation. And, uh, and so you have this, um, this continual inflammation, for instance, of the, of the uh, blood vessel walls especially, that's uh, closing down the diameter of the blood vessel walls with all these histamines floating around. And then the hypercoagulability can, continues all kinds of different symptoms, and you you see that with the vaccines.
0: The question here is, the types of adverse events associated with these jabs versus all the other vaccines prior to this, are they significantly different or are they just more of the same?
12: Well, they're vastly increased. I mean, there's a lot more injuries with this vaccine. I believe it's a spike protein that targets, um, targets the ACE receptors as it. Um, So that there's a lot, a big concentration of these ACE receptors in the reproductive organs. And what they're seeing is that there's dramatically decreased fertility in the fertility clinics who are willing to report it. It it is unique and and it makes sense because those, those spike proteins are targeted to the fertility.
5: At first, I had no immediate adverse. I lost four pounds within the first month, but I didn't think it was related. And I had a few other symptoms that I attributed to my autoimmune condition. And then after the second vaccine, that's when the gas was put on the fire.
0: So in other words, your pre-existing autoimmune symptoms Mm -hmm. came back or?
5: Worsened. Mm -hmm. And so by the after two weeks is when things really started progressing and within a month I had tremors and within eight weeks I could no longer perform my job and I had to quit. My tremors became so bad I was no longer able to wear shoes because I have a condition called erythromyalgia which was unclear at first because it's so rare that um, doctors didn't have a diagnosis for me. I was told I had anxiety um, and of course, I started getting anxiety because I had all these symptoms that I could not be helped with.
0: Now, the the list of symptoms I read is quite long, like 40 different symptoms. Were these all pre-existing or did, were there any that were new that you didn't have before?
5: The list of 40 symptoms are all new since the Moderna vaccine. And some have resolved, but I, I still have remaining symptoms that I still have not figured out.
0: Did they say why they wouldn't help you to submit the VAERS report?
5: Mostly it was a lack of acknowledgement that these symptoms were correlated with the vaccine. So I've seen probably 10 to 13 practitioners, as the months progressed, you start to go from one doctor to another doctor when your symptoms are so atypical, doctors don't know what they're looking at. And so I um, eventually found some compassionate doctors that said there may be a correlation or there is a correlation but by and large most doctors would not acknowledge the correlation because they have no data stating that this can happen at the time
0: so after the first shot what happened i got the first shot
9: and i just immediately fatigued so um just super fatigued um, I had a hard time eating, I was sleeping 14 hours a day. I mean, I was just absolutely drained. And, you know, previous to getting sick, we didn't know what was going on. We thought I hadn't been sleeping well, so we thought it was a little bit of sleep deprivation. Um, and So we had no idea what was going on. So so after the first, like I said, extreme fatigue, um, you know, vision was a little blurry. My stomach hurt, that's when all the, the constipation uh, began. And then I just progressively got worse and worse, and then, I had shortness of breath and I was so anxious, you know, just, just, you know, going anywhere, I'd have to go shopping with my, my grandma. And it was like, I had to stay right next to her, or else my, I would just start shaking and, and I'd just like, you know, fall to the floor. But did you make
0: the second crew aware of what you had experienced in the first sequence?
9: Um, Yeah, we talked about it. I mean, I talked about, you know, to, to the people, I said, you know, what are the side effects, I'm feeling this, this, and this. And they said, well, even if you have side effects, it should maybe last two weeks, you know, like, Did they show any concern that the second shot might be contraindicated no just they just gave it to me after i got the second dose i didn't have a reaction the the day getting it and then i woke up the next day to get scoped because we were having stomach problems from the first and i couldn't stop throwing up and i was so anxious so they scoped me Uh, the doctors put me under anesthetics with you know basically an arrhythmia i had developed arrhythmia but they thought it was just because I was anxious because I don't want to have them sleeping and I'm just really anxious so they didn't think it was arrhythmia cause. but on the second dose so what, what happened is so I couldn't stop shaking and I got the chills I mean it was so it was in June I got my second dose and it's 100 degrees outside and I you know I have snow pants on I have sweatpants I have three layers of socks I have a winter jacket I it was so cold. And I thought I was going to get um, just, you know, I can't think of the word you get really cold. You know, I was just, my body was hypothermia I, each week. I just progressively got worse. And then when I hit the six week mark, I could only like eat yogurt and I couldn't drink anything else. I'd throw it up. I got a heart rate monitor after we were diagnosed with my arrhythmia. And, you know, it was like halfway through July. I just woke up one day and I couldn't even walk up the stairs and I had someone help me and then I tried going down the stairs and I, I fell down the stairs and I just, you know, just started crying because, you know, here I was trying to go out on an LDS mission and, you know, even if people didn't agree with the religion that I was preaching, at least that I would be, you know, helping people in, in service in some way and, you know, just to be, you know, wanting to do that for so long and then just to not even get up the stairs and, I, you know, I just so pale and, you know, my hair was just so greasy and my, my fingernails were just... Basically, you know, falling out. I was so red and my, my ankles were swollen so bad. Did you have? Like any, I had sprained an ankle. Did you have any urinary tract difficulties? Yeah, so I would pee and I would basically fall to my knees and start crying because it hurts so bad. And then I had these pictures on my phone where the urine just, you know, it looks like someone broke you know pencil and, and put it in the toilet and you know my parents didn't know what was going on and like graphite the lip. graphite, yeah and it smelled like if I was in a, a construction zone just like you know when the cranes take the big metal
0: just just so metally, you know and um, I now had you it, it, gone to a urologist a gastroenterologist yeah at so this point? I went
9: to the urologist and I went to the gastroenterologist right after my second dose but um they didn't say anything was wrong with my stomach really and they didn't really look at my stomach they just looked at my throat just because I was throwing stuff out and, and really one of the, you know the side effects of all is you know gas gastrology, and bloating so you know they didn't really kind of know what to really do because it's not like it showed up you know it was kind of a from the shot but and then I went to the urologist and they, they looked at my pee and I said oh, well I think I have kidney stones and you know that's what I've read and you know and they looked at the urine and said we don't know what that is we've never seen anything like that it looks like metal toxicity they said this. Yeah.
0: On these calls, has there been any discussion of anybody that has suffered adverse events, any observations that that had come out in these calls that raised the level of concern among these athletes and, and coaches, perhaps and uh, referees, etc.
10: A couple of the guys on the call, their wives have been seriously injured. They connected to the vaccination. Well, that's Part of why they got involved quite a bit is because they've seen this. And then we hear these young players, college players, who are passing out, not able to play anymore. High school players not able to play anymore because of these heart events or whatever kind of events they've had. And then there there have been deaths. And we don't know. That's something they're not willing to research. But there's a kid from Wisconsin-Whitewater who dropped over dead and
8: the UW Whitewater Athletic Department says one of its star basketball players, who was also a standout at Madison La Follette High School, suddenly passed away. Derek Gray was a first team all conference performer last year for the Warhawks, averaging almost 18 points a game. Tonight, in a tweet, the UW Whitewater Athletic Department acknowledged his death, saying Derek passed away unexpectedly on Sunday, quote, playing the game he loved. The UW Whitewater Men's Basketball Tip Off Club has set up up a GoFundMe page to cover funeral expenses. Derek Gray was 20 years old.
6: I have had a couple athletes come in saying they could no longer compete uh, because of their symptoms. And basically it was kind of a, a chronic chest pain, shortness of breath, some heart palpitations, fatigue. Um, where I was initially a little surprised to see it in someone at that level of fitness said, that that these, these shots, you know, sort of Almost expected it in the in the frail um, elderly patients that, that may be more susceptible to side effects, but but uh, to see it on a college athlete or an ultra distance runner, uh, I was a little surprised to see that. You know, I played with a guy,
10: um, Reggie Reggie Lewis, when I was in Boston, and young guy. He had a heart event when he was in the middle of his career. Hank gathers when he was in the middle of his career. So that kind of stuff may happen, but. We're seeing it more often now, much more often after use vaccinations.
0: So we've heard many stories of people within the medical profession, uh, lay persons working various jobs, young people without jobs even. How about listening to these stories, these people that are suffering? Pay attention to what they're saying so that more do not have to suffer in the wake of those who are right now. The question we should ask is, how did this happen? How can we have such adverse effects in spite of the scientific development of the vaccine? What was really involved in the science itself? So what is the scientific process? How does it work in real life? There are many choices that scientists have to make, especially in the life sciences, to accomplish a proper study. First of all, there is a choice in selecting the relationship to study. It is possible to include or exclude certain things, and human bias can come in the very choice of relationships that are studied. Secondly, there is the obligation to study all the data without cherry picking or bias. Thirdly, and most importantly, our reasoning process has to be logical and sound. We cannot fall into any logical fallacies while reasoning, or the whole process will collapse. After the study is done, all the details must then be shared publicly and transparently. This is our baseline. Let us now compare this with the process followed in the case of COVID-19 vaccination. Let us look into selecting the right relationships to study. With a novel therapy like mRNA technology, one of the first things is to consider, obviously, safety. This is a choice that has to be made early on. What actually happened? According to the manufacturer's own disclosures, no safety pharmacological studies were conducted. Right off the bat, a decision has been made to ignore safety. In addition, since mRNA technology introduces genetic material like RNA into the cell, we would expect a study to check if there is any toxicity due to genetic material. And what do we find? Once again, no genotoxicity studies are planned. What about one of the dangerous diseases of our time, cancer? Perhaps we should check if the therapy can have a carcinogenic effect? No, because carcinogenicity studies have also not been conducted. If genotoxicity was not studied, what about any effect on the genes at all? Freedom of Information Act request in early 2022 asked the CDC for all documents to support that COVID-19 vaccines do not change or interact with the DNA in any way. And what did the CDC say? It simply said it had no records of this documentation. In other words, there was no evidence that the DNA is unaffected.
13: For us, therefore, uh, we're really taking that leap, uh, us as a company buyer. Uh, in cell and gene therapy, which to me is one of these examples, where really we're going to make a difference, hopefully, uh, moving forward. There's some, uh, ultimately the, uh, the mRNA vaccines uh, are an example for that uh, cell and gene therapy. I always like to say, if we had surveyed two years ago uh, in the public, would you be willing to take a, a gene, th- gene or cell therapy and inject it into your body, we would have probably had a 95% refusal rate.
0: What about the all-important question about the risk for pregnant women? Once again, the FDA fact sheet for the vaccine rollout stated that available data are insufficient to inform vaccine-associated risks, or in other words, they have not been studied enough to decide one way or another. What about the effect on the most vulnerable of the population, the infants? Data is not available to even assess the safety, let alone to determine the question of safety one way or another. All in all, it is clear that right at the beginning of the scientific process, we can see that various relationships to safety have not been studied in basic categories like infant health, pregnancy, and pharmacological safety. Another example of making scientific claims without having the data is from the hospitals. Without completing any professional due diligence on the safety of the vaccines, and in direct contrast to the documents obtained from the manufacturers themselves, Hospitals recommended them for pregnant and breastfeeding women.
11: COVID-19 vaccines are now available to many people, but you may have questions about them. Fact number five, COVID-19 vaccines have not been linked to infertility or miscarriage. There is zero evidence that either the disease or the vaccine have caused infertility in women.
0: The last crucial relationship is the relationship to time. The COVID vaccines were ready within a year through Operation Warp Speed, and hence lack data that spans many years to monitor the long-term side effects. Without that data, the Utah Department of Health claims that their long-term effects are unlikely, and only the first six weeks are important, which is a baseless claim. The BBC, on the other hand, seeks to define short-term as long-term, a year.
14: The primary concern, though, Mo- usually is systemic adverse events rather than local adverse events and we we tend to get in the phase two and the phase three studies quite good data on the local reactogenicity but this is not the major health concern the major health concern which we are seeing are accusations of long-term long-term effects
4: I've worked in healthcare long enough that anytime something is brand new be it a a, an injection or a medication of any sort I'm always just a little bit wary of that I usually say well let's give it five years or so let's see if it's still in the market let's see if it's been pulled let's see if there's lawsuits anytime there's a latest and greatest um, I, I am a little wary I've, I've seen that enough to know that I'm gonna wait it out
13: why don't we blow the system up I mean, obviously we can't just turn off the spigot on the system we have and then say, hey, everyone in the world should get this new vaccine we haven't given to anyone yet. But there must be some way that we grow vaccines mostly in eggs the way we did in 1947.
1: In order to make the transition from getting out of the tried and true egg growing, which we know gives us results that can be you know, beneficial. I mean, we've done well with that to something that has to be much better. Uh, You have to prove that this works, and then you've gotta go through all of the clinical trials, phase ones, phase twos, phase three, and then show that this particular product is gonna be good over a period of years. That alone, if it works perfectly, is gonna take a decade. If you take it and then a year goes by, and everybody's fine then you say okay that's good now let's give it to uh, 500 people and then a year goes by and everything's fine I say well and now let's give it to thousands of people and then you find out that it takes 12 years for all hell to break loose and then what have you done
15: then i got involved i said that's ridiculous so i pushed them they had all these statutory periods they had to go a certain speed we got it done in you less than nine it. months it would have taken Minimum three years would have probably gone five years. I don't think they would have ever had you back them up financially as well. Yes.
16: First of all, President Trump deserves a lot of credit. Uh, Secretary Azar for Operation Warp Speed, the Senate in providing billions of dollars uh, to produce a vaccine while it was being tested and approved. So now once it's approved, it can start shipping immediately. So that was a brilliant uh, operation from my standpoint.
0: But all the money, resources, and skill in the world cannot speed up the clock. The laws of physics and biology cannot be altered by spending money, and long-term effects remain to be seen only in the long term. The scientific process fails at the very first level, and no claim of safety can scientifically be made when it is systematically being excluded. What about observing the data that do end up in the final trials? The published results in the New England Journal of Medicine focused only on the first aspect, the number of people that got COVID in the vaccinated versus the placebo group. What they did not focus on was the overall result, which showed that deaths were more in the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. The Physicians for Informed Consent pointed a study of the trials that showed that for every two COVID-19 hospitalizations prevented, 10 serious vaccine adverse events occurred. In other words, The trials themselves showed clear evidence of harm, not help. There's something called pharmacovigilance. In other words, we have to monitor what happens after a vaccine is on the market, whether it's approved fully or through an emergency use authorization. This is where the VAERS database comes in, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System.
14: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the Food and Drug Administration have many safety monitoring systems to make sure every vaccine is as safe as possible. One of these systems is VAERS, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. VAERS accepts reports from anyone – patients, parents, caregivers, and healthcare providers. Healthcare providers are required to report certain adverse events after vaccination. VAERS studies reports of possible health problems, also called adverse events, after vaccination. VAERS can't prove a vaccine caused a problem, but it acts as an early warning system to help CDC and FDA decide whether a potential safety issue exists. VARES reports patterns that warn scientists of possible health problems that might need more study. Vaccine safety experts look for unusually high numbers of health problems or a pattern of problems after people get a particular vaccine. As
3: I have asked two of my physicians if they had reported a Vares reports, uh, they have told me no
0: were you able to talk with the doctor or doctors that administered these injections and say hey is there any connection did they acknowledge what you were experiencing
5: no i actually got mine at the health department and i reported an adverse event and they told me to contact VARES, which i did and reported my own event no doctors would report my event to VAERS
6: and again the first time you see it you tend to be in denial one of the surgeons we had a patient that needed surgery surgery uh, but had had uh, sudden heart failure, you know, weakening of the heart. And they'd asked, could this be from the shot? And I'm like, well, certainly, we know it causes myocarditis, can certainly cause heart failure. Made sense in, in terms of the timeline, uh, but they were friends with the surgeons and the, and the surgeon said, no, oh, no, it's not related at all. So there's still that kind of denial, even though it's been reported in the news and no other explanation for it. In order for the system to be of real use, the CDC
0: is supposed to analyze the data. It had promised to conduct the PRR analysis to identify adverse events that raise an alarm. This would have also cleared up any spurious data and generate proper feedback on the vaccine program. So let us check what became of this analysis. A Freedom of Information Act request was sent to the agency to disclose all the data analysis done on the data obtained from VAERS. And what was the answer from the CDC? Shockingly enough, the CDC had, contrary to its promise, done no analysis of the safety signals at all. Not only that, it also declared that it cannot do any data mining and passed off the responsibility to the FDA and the FDA, in turn, refuses to provide a safety analysis. Since the agencies were passing the buck around, individual citizens recently took the initiative and used freedom of information, again, to obtain the PRRs. Anything above PRR2 shows that the COVID vaccines enhance the side effect more than all other vaccines. They received data that showed a PRR of about 31 for strokes, 33 for heart valve issues, 105 for breakthrough COVID-19, and most importantly, 5.86 for death. These are damning safety numbers for any vaccine. No wonder the agencies refused to look. This is where the first logical fallacy arises that undermines the whole scientific process, which we will examine next. The appeal to ignorance fallacy occurs when we state that there is no evidence because we have not looked. Even at the local level in Utah, health officials continue to make claims based on the ignorance fallacy, such as this communication that we received by email from Leisha Nolan, the Utah State epidemiologist. She stated that the vaccines do not modify the genetic code without providing any references. She gets paid nearly a third of a million dollars a year Is this how much taxpayer money we need to spend for her to appeal to ignorance? Fact
11: number four, COVID-19 vaccines don't change your DNA in any way. They trigger an immune response that creates antibodies to protect you from getting infected with COVID-19.
0: And a sample scientific communication that is spread far and wide by the Utah Department of Health goes something like this. Beachbody. What would you say to those, whether they be in government or medicine that claim that these adverse events and deaths are rare?
4: Wow, Um, I would encourage them to actually talk to the people who have seen them. Um, I saw just a huge number of reactions. I would say close to half the number of people uh, that I saw get the vaccine had at least moderate reactions Um, with close to a quarter of them having severe reactions. Again, we're talking vision loss, strokes, the degenerative brain disorder, losing um, all strength in their legs, uh, losing the ability to walk.
0: In fact, this was one of the first fallacies that occurred during the beginning of the scientific revolution. The famous Galileo offered his telescope to the learned men of his day and asked them to look through it to decide whether he was speaking the truth Several people refused to even look through the telescope.
4: There's a friend of mine who is a nurse, and uh, I was telling her about the reactions I've seen, and she goes, well, that's interesting. I haven't seen any reactions. This was about a year after the vaccines were released. And I said, really, you haven't had any rea- seen any reactions? And she said, no. And I said, have you noticed an uptick in neurological problems, in strokes, in severe muscle weakness, in vision loss? And she said, Yes, actually, now that you mention it, there has been quite an uptick in that. I said, have you looked back in their medical records to see how many of them happened recently following a COVID vaccine? Um, And she acknowledged no, that she hadn't. And I said, start looking. And a couple months later, I ran into her again, and she actually acknowledged that she had started looking and was absolutely floored that almost every single case that she was seeing had happened within a week or two of them receiving the COVID vaccine. It was something she had never even thought about before because she was so ingrained in thinking that it couldn't be that, or we don't need to look. I mean, if you're not looking, you're not going to see it.
0: In four centuries, we are back to square one with regard to safety data from the COVID vaccines. The government and the pharmaceutical companies have both refused to look. If our analysis of data includes reasoning fallacies, the very foundation of the scientific process collapses. Let us see how the reasoning holds up on other aspects. A Freedom of Information Act request asked for documents to support the CDC's claim that the vaccines did not enhance the variants of the virus. And the CDC failed to find any such records. But they went on to argue that they failed to find records because the vaccines do not create or cause the variants this is a classic example of circular reasoning the records do not exist because they cannot exist and our claim is not based on any scientific data at all if the cdc and fda have not studied this data what about the doctors themselves what about the american medical association which is a premier scientific organization of medical professionals did they do their own analysis no they simply depended on the fda and cdc to monitor the safety which we have seen that they have not done. In other words, they simply appealed to the authority, which is another unscientific practice that we have seen in the last couple of years. Not only that, even academic institutions themselves have chosen to actively promote unscientific practices, as this example from the University of Kansas shows. They argue that vaccine selfies must be encouraged because they create the bandwagon effect which is another logical fallacy. The appeal to authority and bandwagon fallacies combined have created a virtual epidemic of unscientific reasoning in almost all the organizations in the world. The last logical fallacy we would have to examine involves the way we understand the side effects from the COVID-19 shot. It has been declared by all the medical authorities, including the Intermountain Healthcare locally in Utah, that side effects are a sign the vaccine is working with no further qualification.
16: Our Larissa Scott explains why so many people are having a reaction and why doctors say it's a good thing.
17: Experts say the reason why more people are having a reaction to the COVID-19 vaccine than they would the flu vaccine, for example, is because this vaccine is made a little differently.
0: It really means that your immune system is sort of ramping up. Especially as the CDC has not analyzed the reported side effects. How can this be claimed? Does this include severe adverse events? Does disability and death show the vaccine is working?
15: And what the FDA did with Johnson and Johnson is so stupid. Six people- Out of seven, Experienced million. some difficulty. Mm. Six people and- That's too bad. It's terrible. But they they paused it. That's the worst thing you could have done from a public relations standpoint.
16: And I think we had a lot of good uptake on the Johnson and Johnson in March and into April. We saw a noticeable decline in J&J when they pulled it back because of the FDA. I think it was a huge mistake. I said so at the time. And I think that that sent a message that maybe this is not something that, uh, that they should be doing. I think that's been unfortunate because I took it. I think, it's, I think it's effective.
0: This is a big problem in science where a statement can never be proved false. It's called the lack of falsifiability. The Hill referred to this problem as the science is settled until it's not. For example, what happens if there is data that could show that the shot is either unsafe, ineffective, or both? We can refuse to analyze the data and continue to declare that the science is settled, it is safe and effective. Or if we do admit that there is data, we can say that the data is not finalized yet since science is evolving. We did not know. Either way, there is no scientific pathway allowed to disprove the safety of the vaccines. The last scientific issue we will discuss is that of transparency. It is essential for all findings in relation to the vaccine trials to be freely and openly made available to the public, since transparency is another fundamental property of sharing the results of research. Reuters reported how the FDA wanted 55 years to share the data from Pfizer's vaccine trials. When we had been provided vaccines via Operation Warp Speed, why did transparency occur only at a snail's pace? In addition, even the data released by the FDA contains redactions of critical information, such as what exactly happens during RNA transcription in the body with respect to the vaccine. Is this the standard of transparency that we accept for genetic material that we put in the body? The court, while ordering FDA to release the data, emphasized the legal value of transparency as well. It stated that stale information is of little value and also that excessive delay is tantamount to denial of information. Hence, both scientifically and legally, the vaccines have not done well on
6: the transparency test. Um, I did mention to some of the other docs, like you really shouldn't be encouraging patients to get this as opposed to saying, here's the data, make your decision based on all the available data. If you're going to encourage this, you, you really need to provide the, all the risks and benefits. And I didn't really see that. So it was a little bit of pushback on that, that they were just going to do their own thing.
1: Let me start out by sharing a little bit of a personal story, if you don't mind. I get a little brave sometimes. And so I walked into a pharmacy and I said, you know, I've been thinking about taking the jab, uh, as I commonly refer to it. And I said, but you know, I, she said, and she interrupted me really fast. She says, oh, you know, come on around here. We'll get you in and out in about 10 minutes and uh, you'll be done and gone. And I said, well, isn't there some paperwork that I'm supposed to read and sign? And she says, well, you know, we usually have people sign that afterwards should have been a really indication right there, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, let me get you the paperwork and you can read it. Well, I just happened to pick up the sentence right in the middle. It says, I understand the risks and benefits of this vaccine. So I said to her, I I think I understand the benefits as they've been extolled, but tell me the risks. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not hearing much about the risks. What are they? And you would have thought, that I'd have asked her to give me a million dollars.
0: Coming back to our overall analysis, we can say that all the essential scientific requirements have been mostly ignored in the development of the vaccine. As a result of failing these basic requirements, all arguments for the vaccine tend to relapse into a much older way of interacting with the world through belief and religion.
16: So, if you believe in science, and if you're grateful for vaccines, and we do and we are, wait a second. Who's doubting that vaccines work? For the record, we never for a minute doubted it. We bought all of that stuff completely at face value. We believe in science.
9: like with people in general it's it's hard to you know I think this is basically just you know separate the nation because people over here saying you don't get vax you know we're in pandemic I want my life back and people are saying well it doesn't do anything and it just causes a huge controversy between people and
15: we can
7: receive the vaccine morally And it might even be seen as a moral good to receive it for the better protection of society,
1: for children, vulnerable adults and others who might be at higher risk. Faith organizations have come out to say the benefits of getting the vaccine far outweigh any
13: ethical concerns about its development.
16: Jewish scholars say the Torah requires it.
13: Muslim leaders endorse it too, leaving legitimate religious excuses to skip the shots, far and few between
18: today's sermon or khutbah in islam is imam
2: kari assam's fact check for the faithful
14: this vaccine is absolutely
13: halal the covid 19 vaccines got a holy endorsement on wednesday pope francis told reporters that humanity has a history of friendship with vaccines and urged everyone to get their shots in india the dalai lama getting his first coronavirus vaccine shot The Tibetan spiritual leader urging his followers
15: to do the same. Have courage to take this injection.
2: Utahns who are over age 70 are getting their COVID-19 vaccines, and today that included leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
0: Another aspect of belief has been the belief in political leaders. As a result, medicine got politicized, as the vaccine itself was both denounced and defended to start with. When we finally do, God willing, get a vaccine, who's going to
15: take the shot? Who's going to take the shot? You can be the first one to say, put me, sign me up. They now say it's okay. Is
13: the vaccine safe? Uh, Frankly, I'm not going to trust the federal government's opinion. And I wouldn't recommend to New Yorkers based on the federal government's opinion.
4: If the Trump administration approves a vaccine before or after the election, should Americans? take it and would you take it
14: if the public health professionals if dr fauci if the doctors tell us that we should take it i'll be the first in line to take it absolutely but if donald trump tells us I ta- that we should take it i'm not taking it
1: the fact that you continue to undermine public confidence in a vaccine if That's the vaccine true. emerges during the trump administration i think is is unconscionable and senator i, I just ask you Stop playing politics with people's lives. And a president who does not believe in science. And when you don't believe in science, you cannot address the pandemic unless you believe in science. Trump does not. Biden does.
15: So if you're vaccinated, you're protected. But if you're unvaccinated, you're not. And you're putting yourself, more importantly, maybe from your perspective, your family and your friends at risk. So please get vaccinated now. took care of a lot of people, including, I guess on December 21st, we took care of Joe Biden because he got his shot. He got his vaccine. He forgot. It shows you how unpainful that vaccine shot is. So everybody go get your shot. You know, they all want me to do a commercial because a lot of our people don't want to take vaccine. You know, I don't know what that is exactly. Republican. I don't know what it is. You encourage people to get it. I, I encourage them to take it. I do. But they want me to make a. Vac- Did you get it? Yes, I did. I had it and I took it, okay? You got both. Because I believe.
16: So My message is the vaccines protect you, get vaccinated, and then live your life as if you're protected. You don't have to chafe under restrictions uh, infinitum. And so uh, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get a little bit more uptake.
15: You know what? I believe totally in your freedoms. I do. You got to do what you have to do. But I recommend taking the vaccines. I did it. It's good. Take the vaccines. But you got, no, that's okay, that's all right. Both the president and I are vaxxed, and uh, did you get the booster? Yes. I got it, too. Okay, so... Um, don't, 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 don't.
0: Trump began the expedited vaccine program as early as September, 2019, with his executive order, then followed Operation Warp Speed, which handled the logistics of vaccine supply. This was followed by the transition to the Biden administration, which continued the deployment of the vaccines, even leading to an executive order to mandate it at the federal level. Let us begin by exploring the suggestions given based upon the 2009 influenza pandemic, specifically on the role of the media.
18: Thank you very much. Ab. Thanks for the invitation and I was asked to, to tell you about my experiences being the, the crisis manager, the flu commissioner for, for Belgium and, and highlighting the communication uh, aspects there. These are some of my conflicts of interest over the past 20 years, I guess. And then you have one opportunity to do it right. I mean, day one is so important. Mm -hmm. Uh, In day one, you start your communication with the press, with the people, and and you have to do it right. I mean, you have to go for one voice, one message. One
0: voice, one message. How was it that the script played itself out during the spread of COVID-19, specifically with the rollout of the vaccine?
17: Pfizer now says its vaccine is 95% effective and safe. The data just days away from being submitted to the FDA.
5: The FDA
1: assessment showed that the vaccine was around 95% effective. There is some good news from Pfizer tonight. They're now reporting their vaccine is even more effective than first thought. Final results showing their vaccine 95% effective.
15: It works incredibly well, 95%, maybe even more than that, it works incredibly well. You know, in
16: the clinical trials when they did it in in Pfizer and Moderna, it was 95%. Both of them, I think, were 95% effective at preventing a subsequent infection.
1: Moderna announcing its vaccine is nearly 95% effective.
11: Sputnik vaccine are said to be up to 95% effective. That's around the same figure we've heard from the candidates from Pfizer, Moderna and AstraZeneca. Pfizer says the vaccine has now shown
1: to be 95% effective 95% effective
11: in 95% effective almost 95% effective 95% effective in its final analysis.
0: 95% sounds great doesn't it. But what are the real risk reductions even after excluding several groups from the trials about 1%. For Pfizer, you needed to vaccinate 141 people to prevent one from getting COVID. All in all, 95% was nothing more than a marketing ploy to trigger vaccine acceptance.
3: Good Morning
1: America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer Anderson Cooper 360 ABC Brought to you by 5. Pfizer Making a difference by Pfizer CNN Tonight Early Star Brought to you Friday Friday night Pfizer on Aaron Burnett Pfizer out front. This week brought to, Pfizer. Is brought to you by Pfizer Brought to you by, to by the
17: Pfizer The royal
13: wedding is brought to you by Pfizer
0: understand how even in the local Utah media, messaging about the vaccine completely exited the realm of science and entered the realm of marketing, we can look at the research done locally by Intermountain as well as Envision Utah. They sought to find out ways to convince Utahans to take the vaccine by doing a massive survey. And what did the survey show? Based on the survey, they filtered out words and phrases that had positive associations in order to sculpt the right message to influence the maximum number of people. By creating a positive values map like this, the final large-scale messaging was put together. This mirrors exactly the messaging that was used on a large scale to target those in Utah who did not plan to get the vaccine. Vaccinations and boosters have been shown to
1: reduce hospitalizations and deaths. They are the most important thing you can do
0: to protect yourself, your loved ones, and your community. Vaccines work. Important figures in the community and their trustworthiness in the population was evaluated in order to wield the maximum influence on Utahns. Individuals like Angela Dunn, Mark Harrison, and Russell Nelson were all deemed to have a high value in the community. Based on this knowledge of influencing Utah, the vaccination program surged ahead.
14: So what about engaging the um, social, the the influences of of this day, like the
18: entertainment industry? Um, That has been tried to a certain extent, also in 2009. I mean, you saw Barack Obama being vaccinated. We do that every year in the hospital. In the hospital, the director and the vice director, in their underwear, are vaccinated. That that has a huge impact. So influencers are are important. Um, But you, you, well, you need to ride influencers.
11: I'm at the Utah Public Health Laboratory and I got my first dose of the COVID vaccine. It is so important for people who can get the vaccine to get it so that we protect the most vulnerable people in our society and stop this pandemic.
0: Here are the asks for you. The asks are for you to stamp out disinformation. The ask for you to personally
11: get vaccinated and encourage your friends to That's do right, Mike and Dean,
10: It was kind of like picture day only with a sting at the end of it. The First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, who are 70 and older, all got together today for their shots. President Russell M. Nelson, well, he's 96, well above the 70-year-old threshold, also a former heart surgeon. His wife, Wendy, also received her shot. President Nelson tweeted out today, reading in part, Wendy and I were vaccinated today against COVID-19. We have prayed for this literal godsend.
4: It was uh, not too long after that that a uh, religious leader in this woman's religion uh, came out and called the vaccine a godsend. So she told me that they were going to go get the booster, that she was going to put faith over fear. Um, She took her husband in to get the booster. Uh, He said he wanted to get it first. They didn't want to get it together because she was afraid if they had a reaction, she wouldn't be able to care for him again. Um, Within three days of his booster, he was non-responsive. I ended up being his hospice nurse at that point, rather than his home health nurse, and he passed away within a week.
0: What is the trustworthiness, however, of the companies that have brought us the vaccines? What is their track record? Since the year 2000, Pfizer has paid out over 10 billion dollars for offenses related to safety, health care, and government contracts, including the second highest pharmaceutical payment of all time.
1: Pfizer
13: has agreed to pay $2.3 billion, the largest health care fraud settlement in the history of the Department of Justice. Uh, Within that $2.3 billion is a criminal fine of $1.195 billion, which makes it the largest criminal fine in history.
0: Johnson & Johnson has paid out almost $15 billion for offenses related to safety, health care and government contracts. AstraZeneca as well has paid out over $1 billion for offenses related to safety, healthcare, and government contracts. We have entrusted our health care to those who have the highest criminal fines for health care in history. Does that make sense to you? We saw that the scientific process was flawed and led more towards pseudoscientific belief in various authorities, be it religious, political, or industrial and the media help propagate this belief through various psychological techniques. How did this happen? Why did this happen this way? Let us now attempt to diagnose this social situation. What actually ails the system of medicine and healthcare? In order to diagnose that, we have to realize that at the root of this social disease, we have conflicts of interest. These are embedded in the system, and like a flare-up of a chronic disease, these conflicts have come to the surface in the last two years. First of all, we have the interaction between the medical industry and the state. In this case, we can have strong financial ties to the legislatures at the local and federal level through pharmaceutical lobbying, which accelerated in the beginning of 2020.
1: I think the farm industry um, has one of the highest ratios of lobbyists to members of Congress of just about any industry out there. So that is part of the public's uh, grievance, um, as well as a lot of money that just flows up here in the form of Campaign
0: contributions, etc. With pharma spending millions in the first quarter of 2020, this outpouring of funding generates a clear conflict of interest embedded into the political system. Let us look into an example of the conflict of interest between the industry and the government, also known as regulatory capture. The British Medical Journal highlighted the issues of conflicts of interest in the CDC. Since a major portion of the funding comes from the very industry, the CDC is supposed to oversee. And the FDA is not much better, since nearly 75% of its funding also comes from the very industry it is supposed to regulate. These are fundamental institutional conflicts of interest. No matter how many well-qualified people occupy positions in the CDC and the FDA, the very foundation is infected by this conflict of interest. Next, let us now look at the interaction of health and state in the idea that is popularly known as public health. When regulation oversteps into the dictation of medical requirements, we end up with medical mandates. By definition, a mandate cannot account for an individual situation, and therefore every medical requirement put in place by the state comes with collateral damage doctor in all your years as a practicing physician is there ever or has there ever been another medication or procedure that has been foisted upon the public that is claimed to be good for everybody no matter what the circumstance
6: not that i can think of maybe the closest thing would be the influenza vaccine it was never pushed this hard it was always more of an option um, a little bit more time to think about it discuss risks and benefits a little bit.
0: Irene, was it also difficult to talk to the physicians on staff there? You didn't? I did
8: because of the, so, at this time as well, um, the vaccine had also come out already for the public. And uh, I I heard the horse. I've heard what some of my coworkers have said. I I've heard the discrimination. I, I heard one of my coworkers actually say that, gosh, you know, All the people that don't want to get vaccinated, they should just die.
0: If the government co opts medical expertise in this way, it can seek to control free speech of doctors, and we end up with a direct conflict between health and the state. We have opened the door to this type of abuse when we allow the state to set medical standards. We have seen witnessed in America the attacks on what we call alternative doctors for many, many years, decades in fact. But physicians were somewhat immune to that, they had a leeway to work within their uh, licensure, but at this point now we saw the doctors succumbing or at least being threatened with the same kind of uh, treatment. Interaction of medicine and profit is another source of social toxicity. As famed novelist and political activist Upton Sinclair once said, Health and medicine require the patient to be healed, but a patient healed is also a customer lost, reducing profits. Hence, there is an innate conflict between the motive of increasing profits and healing patients, which no amount of legal or moral gymnastics can overcome.
9: My parents didn't know what's going on, so I we went to my physician and then they got a, a psychologist. Um, and so I met the psychologist I said, "Look, you know, I feel short of breath, I'm anxious, I can't sleep, my vision's blurry. Um, I can't stop shaking. And I just barely received my first dose of uh, moderna vaccine. What is going on?" And they said, "Well, you know, so then they talk about whatever happened in, in Dallas and you know, and insisted that the vaccine's end into that, and I was just my bipolar, I was a high candidate
0: for bipolar. Had you ever been diagnosed with no, bipolar? No, just out of nowhere, I was a, a candidate for so bipolar. The, it sounds like they would do anything but acknowledge that there was a relationship between that first dose and all of these symptoms that yeah. newly manifested. Now, how long until the second dose? What was the time frame?
9: Well, so before the second dose, still in a doctor's appointment, they they tried to put me in a mental hospital, saying I was crazy, and that you know they I tried should,
0: to institutionalize.
9: Yeah, the saying that you shouldn't lose your vision, you shouldn't feel anxious, you shouldn't not want to go out. Plus, you shouldn't, you know, cry while you know, shopping for for groceries. And, you know, you should be able to go to the bathroom at least once a day taking, you know, well, of accidents. course, everybody
0: should do those things, a, but a healthy person does those things,
9: but not, you know, not a sick person's not able to do and they knew
0: things. your medical history didn't include any of these symptoms no. prior
9: to that shot. They just said it was your ADHD acting up causing a bipolar disorder. And they just gave
0: me 100 milligrams of sleeping pills. This conflict was clearly expressed in a CNBC story about a report by Goldman Sachs which asked, is curing patients a sustainable business model? The report also noted how curing patients reduces the spreading of the disease, hitting their all-important bottom line. With a systemic conflict of interest like this, we would expect chronic disasters, and they have sadly occurred for nearly a century. Let us look at some examples. Cigarettes, which Big Tobacco openly admitted could cause lung cancer after 45 years of litigation. Smoking was, at one point, even recommended by doctors, and the ads from the early 20th century show that clearly. A second example is PFOA, which was used to manufacture Teflon. The industry knew early on that this compound was dangerous, but, once again, It took more than 25 years of litigation for that to be admitted in the open. And finally, radium, the famous radioactive material, was also touted to be a cure-all for years. The girls who handled radium in the factories came down with horrific damages, but it took 15 years of struggle for that to finally come to the fore. These examples can be multiplied by 100, and in each case, we see the tragic, poisonous result of an institutional conflict of interest. Any industry that is also in charge of the messaging regarding their product will downplay the dangers. Millions of lives have been silently lost in this struggle. However, the profit motive does not disappear by simply utilizing the nonprofit status. For example, in Utah, public disclosures of Intermountain Healthcare show that their top 11 employees earned a combined $25 million each year. Does this look like a nonprofit to you? There are also other so-called nonprofits like Utah Medical Association, Hospital Association, and other associations which also have strong ties to the industry. Not one of them urged any caution with regard to the COVID vaccine. The connection between physicians and the industry is so strong. That even the AMA points to it in a journal article wondering if a gift is ever just a gift. And a Wall Street Journal carried an article by doctors concerned about the influence of drug firms on their own profession and associations. Things have changed tremendously in terms of what you knew to do or thought was a standard of care scenario that had been altered.
12: The main thing that changed was that we we were not able to talk about things that could prevent and cure the disease. I always thought that we could keep looking outside the box. It's really pushed on us that we need to use evidence-based medicine. It took me many years to realize there's, there can be a little problem with this theory of just using what they're calling evidence-based medicine. And yes, we need evidence. We need to have, have treatments that are likely to help, we certainly don't want treatments that will hurt people, and it's good to have evidence. But what you realize this evidence-based medicine idea is really, it's coming from a, a baseline program where you have to have money to test. Usually it's one thing that you test.
14: So here's the insider's view. So Marsha Angal said it's, it is simply no longer possible to believe much of the clinical research that is published or to rely on the judgment of trusted physicians or authoritative medical guidelines. And again, this is the former editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. So this is an insider who spent decades working at evidence-based medicine, saying that evidence-based medicine is actually so corrupt as to be useless or harmful. This is basically what she's saying, and she reached this conclusion only after several decades of being in it.
9: Uh, pandemics really are uh, p- times of opportunity, and I like jo- George R.R. R. Martin's quote of chaos as a ladder. I wanted to give you good news. You can There are winners out there, right? So if you're looking at, if you want to be prepared and make money in the next pandemic, if, that, if that's what you want to do, buy stock and hazmat suit makers and protective clothing or, vi- or companies that make antiviral drugs of that particular pandemic you'll probably do pretty well. They're actually uh, mutual funds for pandemic preparedness. You can bet on anything in this country.
0: (laughs) We have seen how the profit motive affects the medical field. In the last three years, how did the industry in general affect our personal medical decisions? Economic persecution was pursued by saying, no jabs, no jobs. The new wild card is full FDA. Uh,
1: approval now, now Sadal, what do you think, what would you urge companies to do? What are they gonna be able to do and how should they do it?
17: Companies can now very comfortably move to mandate the vaccine. They have some legal leverage if
0: that's an issue. This isn't about civil liberties or individual choices. It's about the policies companies need to keep employees and their families safe. And this isn't just a Google thing. Facebook said yesterday that they're going to mandate vaccines for return to the office. Netflix is mandating vaccination.
3: Disney joins a growing list of employers who are mandating vaccines in order to
0: return to work locally in utah a quick search on indeed.com for jobs shows that the no jab no job policy is still alive and well even as of the fall of 2022 and so they told you if you didn't take the, the the injection that you would not have a job is that correct that is correct the last time a conflict of interest like this was embedded in the system the powers of the state were combined with the powers of the church religion an individual matter was harnessed to the state. The resulting institutional poison was called the Inquisition.
13: For most of human history, religious freedom was not a thing. Most governments had a state religion, and if you didn't believe in it, you either prayed very quietly or you burned at the stake very loudly. But America's founders didn't want a country torn apart by religious conflict. So when they wrote the constitution, they guaranteed freedom of religion in the First Amendment. That's why they put it at the top of the Constitution, because of how important they thought it was. Now, this was an incredibly progressive idea at the time. And today, we think of it as one of the greatest ideas from that era. So part of that religious freedom meant that the government can't force you to do things that your religion forbids you from doing.
0: Church leaders had complete statutory power with no checks and balances, leading to persecutions with millions of lives lost in Europe in the Middle Ages. Especially in the United States, there has been a double overlap between the government and pharmaceutical industry. As long as an emergency is declared, a bio shield is erected to protect all actors from any liability.
17: If you suffer severe side effects after getting the COVID vaccine, there's basically no one to blame in a U.S. court of law. Take the vaccine makers. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar invoked the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act in February of 2020, which protects the makers of COVID products such as vaccines and treatments from legal action. This protection lasts until 2024.
1: Essentially, uh, in order to encourage companies to get into the space to develop vaccines for the, the good of the public, for the public health. Um, the government comes up with a program which immunizes those companies from liability for any injuries or damages caused by the uh, taking the vaccine.
17: That means for the next four years, companies like Pfizer and Moderna can't be sued for money damages in court over injuries related to the administration or use of products to treat or protect against COVID-19. Pfizer and Moderna did not return CNBC's request for comment on their legal protections. But remember, it was the FDA that actually cleared the vaccine for use. So does the federal government bear any responsibility?
2: You can't sue the FDA for approving or disapproving a drug. That's part of its sovereign immunity.
17: Sovereign immunity traces back to British law before the American Revolution you couldn't sue the king. The U.S. adopted that same principle. There are limited exceptions, but legal experts say they don't provide a viable legal path to hold the government responsible for a COVID vaccine injury.
0: This is the modern equivalent of a double inquisition, as neither the state nor the industry has any liability for medical decisions. This was how the COVID-19 vaccines came to be. And this is why those who are injured by this have no recourse. What happens when corporations own your body?
11: Republican representative elect
2: Walter Hudson is on record comparing medical professionals who urge people to get vaccinated against COVID-19 to slave owners.
13: He describes himself as the son of a black father and white mother. You know, The plantation owner who said, I need cotton and you're going to pick it is morally equivalent to the person today who says, I don't want to get sick. So you have to take the jab. So, you know, chattel slavery is the most extreme form of slavery, but to any extent that one human being makes a moral claim of ownership over another human being and says, you shall do this against your will, or you may not pursue your happiness as you define it according to your values because of me, because of what I need, because of what I think. I mean, you you use this language of we are discovering how we ought to proceed in the midst of pandemic. It's not we. It's specific institutions, it's public health authorities, which are fundamentally different than the practice of medicine. Individuals, if they did not agree with mandates, at the particular time, had the option to walk away and do something different. A slave never once had that option. So, I mean, walk away and do something different. So for instance, a nurse who works in a health system Um, that is governed by these public health authorities that have determined that vaccinations are required and has trained their entire life to be a nurse with no anticipation that this was ever the position that she or he was going to be placed in, they can just walk away and do what? Work a quick trip? I mean, it goes back to the original chattel slavery comparison that too was justified on the basis of the supposed greater good as was jim crow as was taking japanese americans and throwing them in a, in a concentration camp during world war ii there's always and a- those are all
1: outrageous those are all outrageous well, sure, who sure, isn't calling sure those out but he,
13: let me let me tell you let me tell you what what's outrageous the idea that i go into the exam room and I give the doctor my personal history, my personal circumstances. And then he opens up the door to the exam room and takes a poll of everyone else in the building as to how my medical treatment ought to proceed. What public health has done is it's taken me and you and every individual Minnesotan completely out of it. And we look at everything in terms of the aggregate. We, we make it we in this sense that eliminates you.
14: And there's a long history in this country of people needing to show their papers. The mayor then references slavery, former President Trump, and birtherism. During slavery, post-slavery, uh, as recent as, you know, what an immigrant population has to go through here. Uh, we heard Trump with the birth certificate nonsense. Here we want to make sure that we are not doing anything that would further create a barrier for residents.
0: Today, the same power is exerted on the population when corporations require the shots, especially of healthcare workers. You will undergo a medical procedure as a condition of putting food on the table. This has set the legal precedent for medical slavery, for the greater good, of course. From history, we know that the religious persecutions in Europe led to a mass exodus to the New World. And in North America, the attempt was made to allow for religious freedom, a lesson well learned from history. What are we to do in the case of the worldwide economic persecution of the medical heretics today?
10: So in the way I look at it is they've caused us to stop living to save our lives.
0: And I just hate that feeling. There is no other place to move to. The only option is to give a solution to the social disease by creating a cure. A good example of what is not a solution is the One Utah program. Utah has launched a program that further combines medicine, pharma, and state together in its One Utah Health Collaborative. In other words, upon finding a social disease, they have chosen to worsen it. Utah's medical industry players such as Select Health, corporate players such as Larry H. Miller groups, associations like the Utah Hospital Association as well as state entities like the Utah Department of Health and the University of Utah are all combining their interests as a response to the pandemic. The very worst of conflicts of interest are being institutionalized
18: as we speak. And then of course people say, okay, the vaccine is unsafe. And then you, you get the, the swine flu hoax and, uh, and uh, the vaccine could kill you, say no to the vaccine, that atmosphere starts. And then after the crisis, everybody becomes smart. Yeah. And you, you have to accept that from the, from the get go. Uh, and then the overall statement was no, well, the government did too much, of course, because uh, uh, the number of deaths were disappointing to some people. And then all the books are written.
0: So what are the real solutions? Where do we go from here? Is there something more that can be done to actually cure the social cancer we have created? In the words of Thoreau, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root. In the first place, we should not fall into the trap of pointing towards politics for a solution, as we have seen that leaders of both political parties lack basic scientific capacities. We must seek ways to undo the conflicts of interest by a clear separation of powers. We must ensure healthy checks and balances of these same powers. And most importantly, we must create alternatives that are free of these conflicts. It is only then that we are actually healing the root problems instead of merely managing them. The first step is to tackle the connection between medicine and state. This means that all state agencies that take medical decisions must be systematically checked, pulled back and dissolved. Then the conflict of interest between individualized medicine and state laws can be removed. Separation of medicine and state is crucial to addressing this. The idea is not without precedent. As Thomas Jefferson said, was the government to prescribe us our medicine and diet Our bodies would be in such keeping as our souls are now. Thus in France, the emetic was once forbidden as medicine and the potato as an article of food. And in 1916, medical freedom journals were advocating for the separation of state and medicine. Thomas Saz pointed out about 50 years ago how we take the alliance between medicine and state for granted, just as the Europeans took the alliance between church and state for granted. During the general session 2021 in Utah, an education immunization modifications bill was passed, HB 233, which basically required that medical exemptions, personal exemptions, religious exemptions, of course, are still viable for anybody attending school, from grade school to high school to university level education. We now look at the interaction between medicine and profit. As the profits motivate hospitals, it also motivates insurance companies. Institutional trust in hospitals and insurance is itself toxic due to this conflict of interest.
11: Take away the promise of the big payday and drug companies say they won't be able to commit as many resources to research and development. Of course, the industry also points a finger at insurers for shifting so much of the cost to patients. It argues the pharmacy benefit managers who negotiate prices for health plans, they don't pass discounts on to consumers. And the insurance industry just points right back at big pharma for pricing drugs so high in the first place. You get the idea. They blame each other. Meantime spending on prescriptions just rises. It's forecast to grow more than 6% a year through 2026 faster than anything else in healthcare.
0: What we need is a system that removes the monetary conflict of interest and creates a separation of medicine and profit. In other words, a charitable enterprise that supports both the doctors and patients. Instead of a blind trust in the invisible hand of the market, we can note that the profit motive can erode true health care. We need a system that is based on broadly sourced charitable funds like we find for the Utah Symphony or the support for churches and temples. This also means removing all the power of a corporation from mandating medical treatment and in turn, a possible medical slavery. Your job cannot depend on a jab or any other forced medical treatment. The 2022 general session expanded COVID-19 vaccine exemption potential for those who were employees so that employers could not mandate them without exemption. So you still have access to religious and personal belief exemptions as well as medical exemptions. In summary, neither the power of money on the one side nor the power of the state on the other ought to have a say in the cultivation of health. Similar to the Constitution, we need an overall separation of powers for medicine. That would put the science back into health and remove the social evils of forced treatments. This is the task that has been taken up by the Health Independence Alliance to build a new system. The purpose is to start fresh and create a systemic alternative, a parallel charitable health system called the Health Independence Alliance. An alternative to the system of hospitals and insurance, an alternative to the bias in medical associations, an alternative to the silos created by excessive specialization.
12: And these new diseases, you have to think how do the cells work? What do they need? What do they not need? And it's really exciting to have options. just lots of options. Well, I didn't get any nutrition in medical school because I tested out of it because I took biochemistry in college. So I didn't get any nutrition, and we were schooled, however, and we attached this medicine to this disease, this chronic disease.
1: I would love to see it day where we can truly be integrative And collaborate with each other and you know based on a patient's resources or you know financially or geographically whatever you know I believe that the Lord has put a lot of good things for us to learn here on the earth and when we get too far down the medical road that puts us into problems sometimes where we lose focus on what I think the Lord intended overall for us and 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 I, I may be going, getting into trouble by saying that, but I, I, I truly believe that. That's my mm. perspective on medicine is, is that the body's programmed to heal itself when you give it what it needs, regardless of the events and circumstances. So we just have to do some discovery mm. and that anecdotal evidence when it's observed as has been previously stated and then applied
0: can make a world of difference to people. The HIA brings together the working of different health systems such as allopathy, homeopathy, naturopathy, chiropractors, etc., and encourages research and collaboration. It is creating a network of independent practitioners that can not only address the vaccine injuries, but also treat patients from a much wider perspective. How do we move forward from here? Well, the Health Independence Alliance is providing some insight, maybe a new way forward that will really work. Let's not forget the lessons learned from COVID-19 and the vaccination program. How about looking for collaboration between modern medicine and natural and holistic healing methods? How about really honoring and helping those that need treatment for vaccine injury and other chronic diseases? How about setting up a parallel health system for patients and doctors alike You can learn more and gather more resources from the Health Independence Alliance by going to healthindependencealliance.com. Thank you for joining us and please reach out to us if you want more information for help and healing for yourself and for anyone you know who needs
12: this.